Amen. Thank you, Sarah. That was a wonderful time of worship. Just thank you to Antoine and Alina and guys. Let me just give them a clap for that. Thanks for serving us, guys. That was really, really amazing. Such a sweet presence of God. God commands us in his word, very famous scripture. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and love others as yourself. And we're all very familiar with that scripture. Love the Lord your God. And I've got two quotes from John Wesley. John Wesley says in his, one of his well-known sermons on love, now what is it to love God but to delight in him, to rejoice in his will, to desire continually to please him, to seek and find our happiness in him, and to thirst day and night for, for a fuller enjoyment of him. And later on he writes, he, with, refer- with reference to God, is their one desire, their one delight, and they are continually happy in him. I think when we look at that scripture, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, we've got to understand that love is a two-way relationship. Uh, the only things that just love unconditionally are probably dogs. The rest of us love because we're getting something out of it. And uh, to illustrate that, we all love chocolate. Some of us may no longer eat chocolate for health reasons, but I think all of us are safe to say that we love chocolate. But we love chocolate because of what chocolate gives us. It gives us those happy feelings, that beautiful taste. If chocolate didn't do anything for us, we wouldn't love chocolate. And it's very much the same in that passage when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. We love God because the scriptures say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And we also love because we know that he loved us first. So it's, we need to understand that we can't look at that scripture, which Jesus says the entire law hangs on. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And love others as yourself, which flows from that. It's the same as that. We can't look at that scripture without realizing that we, we don't look at that scripture isolated. We look at that scripture in the context of, and it's very natural, don't feel bad about it. Actually, what do we get out of it? But we know that God loved us first, how God feels about us. And I remember Ethan writing a Mother's Day card. And in a Mother's Day card, you normally write, Mommy, I love you. You know? It's just in the same way we'd say to God, God, I love you. So he wrote, but he didn't write, Mommy, I love you. He wrote, Mommy, I love the way that you love me. And it's very much the same with us as we love God because of the way that he loves us. He loved us first. And we'll look at that scripture in a little bit. So what I want to look at today is I want to look at the life of John the Apostle. I'm not going to do it in detail, but I'm just going to take out a few excerpts from uh, John the Apostle and the, one of Jesus' Jesus's disciples, the son of Zebedee. Uh, the scriptures tell us, and what I noticed was interesting about John is that John described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is quite a like major description of yourself. 
And he actually writes it in the book of John six times. The disciple, whom Jesus loved. And he has an example. Uh, John 19, 26 to uh, 27. When Jesus saw his mother there. Now this is John writing. And the disciple whom he loved. And every commentator I've read says that John was referring to himself. So when we say, when, we, when it says the disciple whom Jesus loved or the disciple whom he loved, every commentator, every commentator says that John was referring to himself. And we know from history that John the Apostle took Mary to be into his home. So we know that John was actually talking about himself, the Apostle. And you might ask, why didn't John just say, and Jesus spoke to me or... Um, when Jesus saw his mother, he said to John, or he said to me, I think uh, perhaps he was doing it for modesty. I think that instead of saying, Jesus loved me and thought I was super special, it could have come across as a little bit arrogant and prideful. So instead of referencing himself, he wrote instead of me, I, John, he wrote the disciple whom Jesus loved. Uh, again, every commentary I've read, especially the early commentaries, say this was John was referring to himself. So why is this important? It, it's, it's important to us is because John knew that he was loved. And remember, when God tells us to love God with all our heart and all our mind and our soul, we're never going to be able to do that properly. A, a relationship works both ways. So God is asking us to do this. We're not going to be able to do this until we know this. And John knew it. The disciple whom Jesus loved. It almost sounds a little bit arrogant. You know, what about all the rest? Um, but he, besides that point, he knew that he was loved. And I believe that God wants us to have a similar attitude towards ourselves that you could also say the same. So I've got a scripture that I want to look at. It's the, uh, it's the Last Supper. But before we go to the Last Supper, and it illustrates John's great revelation of Jesus' love for him, um, I wanted to look at a background to that because I think the background to it is not only interesting to us, and maybe I'd fill you in on some information that you may not have known before, but also I think it will give us an insight into that particular moment. So uh, John the Apostle was in the inner circle of Jesus, and we're going to look at that. So Jesus actually had uh, some disciples that he uh, chose to be, or they seemed to be highlighted, uh, almost seemed to be in an inner circle. And those were James, uh, John, and Peter. And looking back, we actually see that these three disciples, John, James, and Peter, were actually fishing partners before Jesus called them. And we see that in Luke 5, 9 to 10. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John. So James and John are brothers. They're the sons of Zebedee. And, uh, and Simon's, uh, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. So Simon is referring to Peter. So we understand that James and John were fishing partners, maybe even in business together. They certainly knew each other really, really well. I think if any of you guys are in business together or 
at least close associates, social associates, that you know each other really, really well. And we know that these three disciples, there was also uh, Andrew. So Andrew was the brother of Peter, but he wasn't included so much. But we understand that these three disciples, John, his brother James, and Peter, were often pulled closer than the rest of the disciples. And we see um, they were the ones chosen to go up to the mountain and witness his transfiguration, none of the other disciples. They were the ones chosen to pray with him at Gethsemane before his death. Um, And they were the ones chosen to go pray for the daughter of the synagogue ruler, Jairus, and raise his daughter from from, from the dead. So just as a foundation for that, I want to go into the main passage, which is the Last Supper, which uh, we read about in John 13, 21 to 27. So there's a moment at the Last Supper where the disciples are reclining at the table and Jesus refers to one who will betray him. We see that John 13, 21. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, I tell you the truth, one of you is going to betray me. But Jesus doesn't say who it is. Now the book of John says the disciple whom Jesus loved, i.e. John himself, was leaning his head against Jesus' chest. It says in John 13, 23 in the King James Version. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And the Greek word for bosom is kolpos. It means chest. So we had John leaning against Jesus' chest. Now, for me, that picture is my main picture for this preach today. John resting his head on Jesus' chest. And what does that tell you? You know, sometimes you know, we hear that a picture tells a thousand words. Imagine yourself witnessing that. John's head rested on Jesus' chest. It talks about intimacy. It talks about a, fe- a feeling of of acceptance, complete acceptance, that Jesus was no threat to him, that he was in a place where he was just almost like absorbed into Jesus, just loved, accepted. However, at that point, Peter is nearby, and you know, Peter's kind of a funny character because he often gets himself into trouble, and he's a bit of a quirky character, and I know that even in the series The Chosen, Peter's always kind of like, you know, it, and he reminds us a lot of him, of ourselves, I think, because he's like an imperfect character. And so in John 13, 24, Simon Peter motions to this disciple, so motions to John, and remember the background, so Peter and John know each other extremely well, okay? They were fishing partners before Jesus even called them, and said, Ask him which one he means. So this is quite a hectic thing. Jesus has just dropped a bombshell. One of you guys is going to betray me. I mean, it's a bombshell. So Peter's like, motion. So the word for motion in Greek is neo. It means nods. Now, Peter and John's relationship is so deep. It's a little bit like a marriage. There's nonverbal communication happening here. So the Bible actually says he nods. So Peter just looks at John who's resting his head against Jesus' chest and just goes, that's all he has to say. It's like, 
And because they've been fishing together and hanging out so long, John's like, I know what Peter means. And also the relationship is so strong that Peter just needs to nod to John. And John follows through. So we see that... uh, We see that, um, before I go there, two reasons why Peter maybe asked Jesus instead of asking, asked John instead of asking Jesus is that John was physically closer to Jesus. He was resting with his head in his chest. It was, a, it was an awkward question. I mean, imagine that. You drop that bombshell and this awkward question, who's it going to be? Or... And I think this could be a, a possibility is that Peter was afraid it would be himself. And, you know, there must be something going, is it me? Am I going to be the one? So he doesn't even want to ask Jesus himself. John asks the tough question, and I think that also says something about the relationship between Jesus and John, is that the relationship was so deep that John and Jesus, well, the relationship was so strong between them that and especially from John so well, John was aware of that that he was not afraid to ask an awkward question of Jesus I mean he could so easily if there was anything in him that was afraid of Jesus if there was any sense of separation he probably would have gone <laughs> not now <laughs> you know John would have gone and sorry Peter would have gone and John would have gone but he didn't. Because his relationship was so intimate, it, 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 it meant nothing. It, it, there was no hesitation on John's part. John is just like, Jesus, who is it? And, yeah. and then I think that's a lesson to us as well. That there's such a deep sense of trust that John has in Jesus that he's not even afraid to ask the tough questions. I think some of us, it's a challenge to us because we often, are we able to feel comfortable enough to ask Jesus some of our tough questions, or we're like, okay, I'm not taking it to God. Jesus responds in John 13, 26. It is the one to whom I'll give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon. So Judas is identified. So what is the point of the story? It gives us insight into the closeness of the relationship between some of the disciples I never knew how close Peter and John actually were, even going back to before they were called as disciples, that they could do a lot of nonverbal relationship, a little bit like a marriage. You know, I was, we had a restaurant once in Bali, and um, we watched watching, I don't know why I watched it, but I just picked it up in a moment. And there was a husband and wife sitting, well, I presume there were a husband and wife sitting at the restaurant. And I don't know if you guys do this, but um, obviously there was a servant the, 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 the husband wanted to serve his wife and all she did was when she wanted some salt on her feet she just took her fork and just tapped the salt shaker and the husband was like so without even saying a word you know so I uh, it's interesting that some of these disciples knew each other at that depth that they were really close and it was this non-verbal communication and then most of all the closeness of the relationship that was revealed between Jesus and John are we like John Are we close and intimate with Jesus? Maybe you have in the past, and it is no more. Maybe you don't rest your head on Jesus' chest anymore. Or maybe you never have. And you're like, 
I wish I could have that. I want that. I want what John had. I want to be known as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So that brings us on to this fairly uh, interesting statement, the one who Jesus loved. When we talk about God, uh, favorites, does ha- God have favorites? Um, we know that um, God doesn't actually have favorites because we read it. I'm just jumping to Romans 2.11. Says, for God does not show favoritism. So, what is this thing about isolating yourself as someone who Jesus loved? I've uh, often been in some of Andrew's preachers, and Andrew says that I am God's favorite. Have any of you guys heard that before? And I think the point here is that God has no favorites, but that some of us. We all love the same, okay? We know that Jesus loves us all the same. But I think that some of us have a greater revelation of this than others. We all love the same, all loved intensely, but some of us sitting here have more of a revelation of that than others. And I'm hoping today that God would open up something in your life that you would actually go, you know what? I want to grow in this. I know that Jesus loves us all the same. The scripture says that he shows no favoritism. But I want to be like John. Now, John, so when John said, I was the one who, the disciple that was loved, when Andrew says, I'm God's favorite, it's not because they are more loved or more favored than anyone else. It's because they've got a deeper revelation of that. God wants to give that for yourself because it's a very personal thing. It's almost like you don't care about anyone else. What's my relationship like with God? Just me and him. And, and I think that the, that, that, that statement they make is actually a statement where we're not caring about anyone else in that moment. I just know how God loves me. So when John writes to the disciple, it's, it's like, I just know how he loves me. I know he absolutely loves me. And, he know, and we see that from that posture at the last supper. And when Andrew says, I'm God's favorite, it's actually he's just saying, you know what? I just know that. You can know too. Later on, uh, John goes on to write the book of 1 John. Now, 1 John appears in the New Testament, and there have been some questioning around the authorship of 1 John. But uh, Polycarp, who was actually one of the early church fathers, uh, went on to being martyred, was actually a young disciple of John, and he asserts to John writing 1 John. Arrhenius also says that John wrote 1 John, and all the early church held to this assumption. So 1 John could be regarded as the epistle of love, a treatise on love. It contains the famous passage, God is love, and we'll look at that in a moment, and explains the core foundational truth of how we should walk as Christians, loving God and loving one another. John Wesley, it was his his favorite book. Calvin had Ephesians, Luther had Romans, John Wesley had 1 John. But she has the point. If 1 John is such an amazing book on love, um, we need to look at who wrote it. 
John the Apostle. Because John knew how much he was loved, he was able to write what is some would regard as the most thorough examination of love, where the statement God is love occurs. Jesus has the ability to make each one of us feel like we are his favorites. It's like in a moment the other eight billion of us disappear and he only sees us. And it's like we are the apple of his eye. Now there's a separate preach that I can do on increasing favor through greater obedience. We know that favor increases obedience. So, okay, that's another preach, okay? As you obedience to God, your favor with God increases but that's not what this preach is about. This preach is about his, your core unconditional position in him, covered by his blood. You might say, how do I know this is the case, that I am loved even outside of my obedience to him? And we see it in the scripture, Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So just a few things to look at that. God demonstrates his love for us. Chris earlier spoke about in the, um, in the stewardship teaching, he spoke about a worldly definition of love. That it's, 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 a, it's, it's a feeling. It's like this feeling of intense love for someone. But you understand that's not a biblical description of love. And, and uh, Chris said it really well. It's actually a, a fairly petty description of love. We understand that the greatest manifestations of love is through action. We see here, God demonstrates his own love. He shows his love for us in this, that Christ died for us on the cross. That's a demonstration of his love for, her, for us. But here's the point where God's love for us is not dependent on our obedience to him. If you're doing well as a Christian or if you're not doing that well as a Christian, that God's love for you is intense. Your favor might be changing, but his love for you is intense. Is that why you are still a sinner? It's not even after you were redeemed. You weren't accepted, but you were still loved. That while you were still a fraught, rotten sinner, that God showed his love for you. And we know that um, Charles Spurgeon famously said, Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are fighting for it. In 1 John 1.3, John writes again, see, see, how, see how very much our heavenly Father loves us. The NRV says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Could we just check the NRV on that? Because um, it brings up that word lavish, which is very difficult to uh, replace. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. There we go. Same John. This is the same John. 
that rested his head on Jesus' chest. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. God has filled our hearts with love. Paul writes in Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's because God has poured out his love into our hearts. Last Sunday, um, for those of you guys who were online, I don't know if it was in the first or the second, but Wayne got up, uh, Wayne Dodd, one of the deacons, and he shared about when he was a Rastafarian that uh, he left Transkai's little Rastafarian village, his cute little village. Uh, however it looked, it would be interesting to see what it looked like clouds of smoke above it and um, all kinds of different smoke and uh, he eventually headed out somewhere and broke down outside a, a fuel station or, and, and he met this guy there and the guy showed him such love, I mean he was sharing from the front, God showed him such, uh, the guy showed him such love he, he said oh you can park your car here, how can I help, um, allowed him to stay in his back garden you know Chris spoke about love as opening up your home, he let him stay there at the back, you know, a dirty Rastafarian, I mean, by using uh, Wayne's own words. And later on, found out that this guy was a Christian. And in that moment, this was being expressed through to Wayne, and, and Wayne felt it. And that brings us to our next point, is that this love that God has lavished upon us needs to flow through to others. So, so far we've looked at love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. We understand that that is a two-way relationship. I only love chocolate because what chocolate does for me. You know, we love God because He loved us first. If we have a revelation of that love, in Ephesians three seventeen, it talks about a love that is beyond knowledge. It's only something that God can give you a personal revelation of. I can't teach you how much God loves you. Only God can show you because it's beyond knowledge. But that scripture that Jesus died for you, while you were a sinner, is a demonstration of God's love for you. He paid the ultimate price. Even if you were the only one worth doing it for, he would have done it for you. That is your value to him. You are worth the blood of Christ. You are worth the death of Christ. Just you. If you were the only one to respond. And that is a pure demonstration of his love. And as you walk in that love, the scriptures talk about uh, our hearts are also being filled with that love as an overflow. We heard um, the testimony of Wayne last, night, uh, last Sunday talking about seeing that love being expressed through a Christian. I began with the scripture that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and your soul, and love others as you love yourself. And we see that link as being really, really important. Will Murray, and some of you guys would have realized, uh, would have heard the testimony, is that he went through an operation, and a few times he actually died on the operating table. He felt like his, from what I understand, his kind of leaving his body, then coming back and leaving his body, coming out, and coming close to the gates of what, of heaven, and his perception was, and when he came back from that experience, and you can speak to all yourselves, 
is that he said that, you know, I mean, Will was the head of IFCC in the Cape. He was a big hitter, you know. It was like, you know, he's like sometimes like Andrews too. I see it's like none of that mattered. He came back convicted about a lack of love. And I actually think that Will Maria loves more than anyone I know. <laughs> you know, I've, we've had Will around, and, and I, it feels like love is just coming out of him all the time. So if Will goes to heaven and like, I'm lacking in love, sure, what a, what a, a, a challenge to the rest of us. Um, and we see this in 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, in the ESV, um, just bring it up in the ESV if you can. It says, um, well, I'll read, read the NIV. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames that I have not love, I gain nothing. The ESV says, if I give away all that I have and if I deliver my body up to be burnt but have not love, I gain nothing. Think about that for a moment. The scripture is saying that you can give away everything, everything you have. And I don't know people that do that. Okay? And not only that, you could give up your body to be burnt. Now, we understand from history that Joan of Arc, who was eventually burnt at the stake, said this, I would rather be beheaded 10 times than be burnt once. Burning is horrible. (laughs) But you can even do that. Give away everything and surrender yourself to arguably the most horrible death. Maybe besides crucifixion. But even if you show that level of commitment for Christ, it's nothing if you don't have love. Agape. And we know the description of Agape, 1 Corinthians 13. And that is what Will was experiencing. He was like, God has loved me. I love God. Now that's got to flow out to everyone else. And if it's not, where's the blockage? Is it because I don't know God loves me? Is it because I'm not loving God? Is it because God hasn't filled my heart with his love, as the scriptures say? Because we know it has, if you've given your life to Jesus. Why? You know, what is is going on? Paul writes later in 1 John 4, 7 to 11. Again, this is John. Did I say Paul? Sorry, John. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Just ponder on that for a moment. Just don't rush it. So let us love one another, okay? For love is from God, so we know where where the love is coming from. Whoever loves, agape has been born of God and knows God. So we've been born of God and know God, we do. Then we love. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's a very natural thing. The majority of us here say that we do know God. But that, the implication is there is that we should love. There should be an overflow of love.
In this, the love of God is made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that He, that we have loved God, but that He loved us first and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Just for a moment on that last one. In this is love, not that we have loved God, God but that he loved us basically first and that is why we love us because God loved us he gave everything there's nothing that he held back from us he loved us completely and that is why we love we love because he loved us first and they're looking at Matthew 22 36 to 40 Jesus talking teacher what and this is the introduction to the preach today teacher what is the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as, as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So it says there, the second is like it. It's like they're linked, they're interchanged. The one overflows into the other. We can't love God and we can't love God because he loved us. That this, this back and forth between us without something being attached, without an overflow. We can see in John that as soon as he talks about the love between him and God, he overflows into the love between us, each other. You can't just say, I'm, I'm going to have this relationship with God, love relationship without it flowing sideways. They're linked they are like it. That's why the scripture says they're like it. The one overflows into the other. But I've really felt today that God wanted to speak to us personally. Maybe I can ask uh, Anton and Annalene to come up again. That God wants us to speak to us personally about this first thing. Let's take it back from loving one another because you're hearing that almost every week now. Let's take it back from loving God. And let's take it back to why you like chocolate. The taste and see the Lord is good. Take it back to where John was. Is your head resting on Jesus' chest? Do you have that relationship with Jesus right now? I think for many of you, there's been moments... But I know that you want it as much as I want it. I want that sense of contentment. I want that sense of trust. You know, Anton shared something earlier about, on that one song, he said, whether your circumstances were good or bad. I don't know what John's circumstances were when he was in that upper room. I don't know if he had like good clothes or bad clothes. I don't know if he had problems or no problems. If he was like... The rest of us, he would have had some problems. But you know what? He just had his head on Jesus' chest and that was enough. There was just, I'm just close to Jesus. That's enough. I don't need anything else. And from that great revelation, he went on to describe himself as the disciple in Jesus' love and to write the great book of 1 John, the treatise on love. God wants us to know that relationship so that we too can be experts in love that we can be great lovers of God but also great lovers of man 
you know, as I prepare this message, not in my notes, but I kept on thinking about Hosea. Hosea, the Old Testament prophet, was continually commanded by God to go and reach out to his wife who was constantly straying. Um, What was her name? Hosea's wife? Anyone? Bible experts? Quickly Google. (laughs) Hosea... I forgot her name. Okay, Natalie's looking. Goma. Goma, eh? G-O-M-A-R. Goma, yeah, Goma, that's right. He kept on asking, asking him to reach out to Goma again. Hosea to reach out to Goma again and again. And she strayed again and again. And he, you know why he was doing this? Saying this is a demonstration of my love for Israel, of my love for God's people. And that's his love for us. You know, we stray, we stray. I mean, I'm telling you, we've got a million idols chasing after us. But the prophet Hosea was a demonstration of God, his love for us again and again and again. And Isaiah would have gone, but she's straight from me again. She's gone and been unfaithful again with some other guy. And God said, no, go again, Isaiah. Go love Goma. And we're like Goma. And that's his great love for us. Now we can just stand up where you are. And if you don't mind, just close your eyes where you are. Just focus on the Lord. Maybe lift your hands to him just in an attitude of receiving, if you don't mind. God, we've got to be like John. If we're not like John, we're never going to be able to do what you want us to be. If we're not content like John, we're never going to be able to love like you want us to love. We're not going to be able to love our kids like you want us to love. Love our brothers and sisters the way you want us to love. Love our husbands and wives the way you want us to love. Love our parents the way you want us to love. Love our friends. But if we're like John, we will. We will write a treatise of love through the way that we live our lives. We will overflow with love. We'll be exuberant in love. We will just be giddy with love. Because you make us giddy with love. So Lord, I just pray for every single one of us here today, Lord. Lord, won't you reach out deep into our spirits? Touch us with your love. Through your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are of no excuse to ever believe that you don't love every single one of us. Because you demonstrated through an act of love. The greatest act of love ever known. That God would come down, a perfect God. And live in the body of a man experience the problems and the suffering of earth and then at 30 or 33 years of age surrender his body to be crucified to show the level of love that he has for every single one of us and Lord 
as we've read, you've lavished your love upon us. I pray that we, as an appropriate response to that, would lavish our love on one another. As you have commanded, love one another as I have loved you. Oh God, let that be in our midst. Let that be achieved and accomplished in our midst that we can be pleasing to you as a body. Pour out your love on us, Lord. I pray against any blockage, any rejection, any false modeling from dads of this earth. Though imperfect, we know that you instead are perfect. Baptize us in your love, Lord. Jesus name we pray if you really know and you're really hungry you know God is today asking you for that special revelation to be like John won't you just raise your hands just where you are and just trust that God would begin that journey today or maybe you were there before and you're like God I gotta get back there I gotta get back there to where John was And just lift your hands as well. Lord, I just pray for every response right now in Jesus' name. This is your desire, so we pray your will. In Jesus' name, baptize us in your love, Lord. Pour out your love on us. I bind every blockage to that in Jesus' name. I bind every false thought against that in Jesus' name. Lord, I take captive every single one of our minds to yours, Jesus. That we might know, that we know, that we know that you love us. You love us to pieces. Pour out your love on us, Jesus. I would just encourage you if you really know that you're in that place but but for some that you need to go I, I just need to repent because I've been chasing idols just ask you to come to the front just keep your distance but maybe today needs to be a, a day of repentance as well where you need to go I've been looking to other things Jesus I'm coming back to you today help me help me in my weakness